Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season four, The Chats Room. My name is Magellan, and I think tonight is really one of those nights when I should do exactly everything he tells me to do. It's Alan. Whoa. Oh. Oh, man. That's fun. That's fun yeah. and, and true and all, always accurate. You're my, you're my EP tonight. I can't wait for the, like, fake greeting cards that somebody makes that are, like, newsroom greeting cards, and one of them is, like, you're, you can be my EP. By greeting uh, card, you mean, like, valen- like those little Valentine's Day? Yeah, can you tell English is, like, my third language? Come on. All right. Hmm. Hmm. Not sure that's true. I'm pretty sure I'm just bad at words. Hmm. Hmm. As the kids say, thinking emoji. How you doing, Alan? Oh, my God. I'm well. Thank you for asking. You're welcome for asking. Wow. How are we? Oh, it's very cold. Yes. Yep. It, we're in a bit of a snap. That was a snap. No, it's it's. I always love when we do Sunday shows because uh, I come back from work. I usually get a beverage, a caffeinated beverage, and uh, I get all comfy. And uh, we kind of just make we kind of just make magic happen. We're kind of just magi- we're basically magicians. Yeah, it's sort of like that movie. Uh, a Bert Matt Bert Wonderstone. Bert Wonderstone's home for imaginary friends. magic emporium. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yours is no. Yours was better. I like yours. Burt Wonderstone's you. home for imaginary friends. This is a show where we don't just talk about Burt Wonderstone. We also talk about the Burt Wonderstone of prestige cable television. Well, this isn't cable. It's HBO. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Aaron Sorkin, specifically his uh, his wonderful... Hmm. His Wonderstone show. <laughs> His Wonderstone show. The Newsroom. Every week we watch two episodes of The Newsroom, and then we talk about them, and uh, we enjoy ourselves while we're talking. Oh. While we're talking. And while we're watching, maybe we don't, maybe we do. I thought this week was a little bit better. Uh, this week we watched two episodes. Season 2, episode 5, and season 2, episode 6. We'll talk about episode 5 first, News Night with Will McAvoy. Written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Alan Poole. Or Powell? How do we say this before? We Powell? say it every, differently every week. All right. I think Alan, we agreed on Powell for now. Alan Powell. Alan Powell. Powell. And it aired August 11th, 2013, taking place on March 16th, 2012. Alan, what happened in Newsnight with Will McAvoy? Well, John, this one's actually pretty simple. In this episode, as fighting erupts in Syria and investigations into the killing of Trayvon Martin begin, Will receives a surprise phone call from his father. Meanwhile, pictures of Sloane posing naked appear on the web, and Jim believes Maggie's performance at work is being affected by her time in Uganda. Hmm. What did you think of News Night with Will McAvoy? Uh, it was nice to take a break from the Genoa stuff, and it just felt like a first season episode where there was stuff about it that I had a problem with, but generally I liked the experience of watching it. Genoally. Genuinely, yeah. It's, yeah, that's a very good, that's a very apt description. It felt like the old, the olden times, especially when you consider like we're watching the newsroom really, really fast. There was like a significant chunk break between uh, the seasons, and um, like it had been a while since people were used to that. We've been technically we were in weeks and weeks of this Genoa stuff, and we have been, but you know, even like doubly so uh, right. if you're watching it and 
getting back to just like primarily being in the newsroom, centering on an actual real life crisis mm-hmm. uh, with minimal relationship drama, but there is some, uh, feels like it's almost like I just wanted. The, I, we've always wanted the newsroom to be this. Yeah, and it's an it's an episode that is just told within the time span of a single episode of Newsnight. Right, which, right, right. Which also has a sort of charm to it because we've had so many episodes that are like flashback three months. By the way, this takes place over the course of several days, montage, yada, yada. There's just been a lot of time play. And uh, this episode was very straightforward in that it's like, okay, single episode of Newsnight, pretty much real time. You're experiencing it. And the plots are straightforward. It's just character interactions, and that's it. It it felt like somebody had some sort of mandate that was like, we need to remind everybody why they should care before before we wrap up Genoa next week. Yeah. We need like all of the characters to kind of get to this this point where all of their stories their storylines matter. Like that's the whole purpose of Mackenzie and Will's plot, which concerns Will, um, who we are again being told that we're supposed to like. Uh, because mm-hmm. during one of the commercial breaks, he uh, learns that um, his father uh, is in the ma- is in the I almost said is in the McAvoy. He's in the hospital, um, and he finds out later. Like the cool thing is, like he is like you said, learning about this during all of the commercial breaks through family and through you know other channels. Uh, his father had a heart problem and ended up in the hospital, and he's like, it's probably fine. You know, I'll leave him a voicemail so he knows that I heard about it, but. Like, uh, we immediately realize that he's a Sorkin man character who, of course, doesn't have a good relationship with his dad. And he's like, you know, I don't, he doesn't, neither of us care about each other enough to warrant me, like, making the call to him. Right. Or it's not that he doesn't care, but maybe he's scared or something, or who knows what it is. Because his dad, we've been told that his dad was a drunk and that they've come into conflict with each other. Um, so I liked this plot in the sense that I, I appreciated the interactions that Will and Mackenzie had with each other. There was, cause usually their backstory in the show is played for drama in a way that's kind of annoying, but here their backstory was played for like intimacy um, in the way where this really happens where somebody that you used to be with maybe they're one of the few people who understand like the relationship you have with your parents and so you need to lean on them in this moment of crisis even when you haven't been leaning on them or really been close to them for a while so in that way I appreciated it um, but pretty much all of the Will's dad stuff has been communicated to us by telling totally so that that made it fall flat in a certain way, but uh, you know, I'd rather have this than other <laughs> other character stuff that's been going on. And we do get some of that stuff, which is really unfortunate. But yeah, my biggest problem, like you said, is that it's so much of it is just conveyed to us. Like we we, don't, we never got to meet Will's dad. He mm-hmm. lives and dies on these phone calls. Uh, Will finds out at the end of the episode that Will's his father passed away in the hospital uh, from an irregular heartbeat, uh, basically. Which is really sad, and he reacts to it with a maturity that I also kind of like. You know, yeah. this way that he's like, oh, like, that happened. I, And he's so, he finally lets his emotions come out, and they cut back to him on the camera. 
and he doesn't this is like it's such a corny moment but it's such a it's a very strong moment Mm -hmm. uh he just he's just quiet for like a full 30 seconds of on-air time and then he just goes looks like it's just us Mm. and then he like proceeds to do the news and it's like oh like that's so i don't know if something like that would ever really happen in real life but it just feels so strong in that in that moment you have to buy into it yeah you have to buy into will's arc for that to work um because otherwise it just feels very ridiculous like so much of those plots but you know Mackenzie um gets to be mean also in this plot which i think is kind of interesting um because her trying to talk will through this is also intersected by uh neil basically bumping into them and saying hey will's getting some bad tweets and i'm the twitter guy because i'm the brown dude and i handle the internet stuff Hmm. um He's getting like a lot of like mean tweets from a lady who said that he uh, snubbed her at a restaurant or something or like in the streets, which so doesn't matter at all. <laughs> and I, God, the moment where Mac and Will are having a, a sort of smart talk and Aaron Sorgan conversation about the tweets, and she's like, "What did the third tweet say?" And he's like, "You just lost a viewer." And then she's like, "Ooh." She's good. She's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? He cares so much. That's the thing is you're learning he cares so much about what people think. Yeah. Like, he, he gives off. I was. I think I literally said this race today to someone out of context. Um, but this thing with, like, really strong, quiet men like Will is that they're often using that to mask a lot of, like, insecurity and um, lack of, like, self-confidence and faith. Sure. And I think Will does have that. I think Mac often provides that confidence in him. And he does need her to tell him, like, hey, you're good, dude. You're a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and have all these other people tell him that he's great. So that's, like, why he he's the one who cares about the tweets. And, you know, in the second episode, like, he cares about uh, fixing his public image and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He does care. Yeah, it just, it just uh, didn't feel that consequential that one person is saying bad Twitter things because people are always saying bad Twitter things, which is hard to get a sense in the show for like how much Twitter matters, whether or not we're supposed to think it's like stupid or a big important tool for changing somebody's reputation. Uh, Yeah. Up in the air. And I mean, speaking of these bad relationships and like people trying to feel out like, Oh, does this person like me or not? We we learn that it's been a little while since like literally last week. I was honestly surprised. This was the plot that surprised me. Like, wow, it has been a lot enough time since Jim was on the campaign bus that a we're barely talking about Genoa this episode. Like, literally the only Genoa mentions are in Charlie's little side plot. Uh, and b him and Callie are like a very serious item now. <laughs> yeah, that was odd. She calls him baby, and he calls her honey, and they kiss and they flirt on, and she's like surprised that facetime works again <laughs> they make that joke again yeah it, it just it's like you we're just supposed to assume that they like developed a really strong and healthy and good relationship in the whatever x number of days weeks since he got yeah it just feels like there's not like it doesn't callie's character doesn't really matter to the show it's more like what does she need to be to serve jim's story and Entirely, right now, yeah. Right now, Jim's story is served by him having like a nice girlfriend, and not the character that she was before. Right, and she's she plays such the quote unquote nice girlfriend 
Like, I think that actress is is not incredible. She's really not given a lot to work with, though. It's just a yeah. lot of, like, say nice, witty things to, to Jim. But but basically, his plot with Maggie involves uh, him thinking, like, hey, you... Like, they, they spend their whole plot looking at a progress bar. Yep. That's in yep. this episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, because they get uh, audio of the interview with uh, George Zimmerman, the, or not the interview, the nine one one call. Nine one one call, yeah. Where he called in uh, the the killing of Tra- the like whole the Trayvon Martin situation, and then the police came, and then he took matters into his own hands and killed an innocent person. Uh, and first of all, like that conceit is really dumb. I'm sure it looked good on paper, but just like everything is going on really busy, and we need to just justify these two people standing next to each other for forty five minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like often Jim and Maggie's plots have the most run into, like, the technological limitations of working in a newsroom. Because, you know, they've had episodes before where they're like, we have to put this thing on film and then walk it to the other room. And now they're like, we have to download this. And it's and Maggie says some line that's like, he's like, it's really taking a while. And she's like, it's because everyone else is downloading stuff. Like, <laughs> I have to explain how bandwidth works. Right. And it's just another plot to give us, like, a, a oh, Maggie's messing up framework like it's not downloading fast enough and then when she edits it she edits it wrong uh it's just kind of annoying i'm really really upset with how this show handled trayvon martin uh, Uh uh-huh as like like the main points that it takes away from trayvon martin and his death are like we're telling a story about the rich white guy who's sad about his dad dying like that's the episode where we do that Um, right and the big snafu that they make is they make george zimmerman look too racist too racist and they're like we have to this is a big deal we need to play the whole tape well i think (sighs) the reason there is like they know he's racist and they but they have to and it kind of becomes more important when you consider the second episodes like the twist mm-hmm. of the genoa stuff is like if we don't present the truth exactly as it is then none of our message matters yeah. like what they cut out from the zimmerman uh call is him saying uh or they say that the uh the dispatcher asks him what does the man look like and then he says he looked black and it's like if he just says that then that's kind of right that's like pretty that's like a weirdly charged racial thing to say uh but if he's asked that, then it's just a response to a question. Like it's a, it's a it's an important difference and it's an important distinction in terms of them getting their message across. Right, I understand that, but the show gets to decide whether that happens or not, and the show is deciding that the important thing to talk about about this case is that we need to make sure that we don't make him seem too racist. Um, right. And Will's interview with uh, the woman uh, about about societal racism is like background for another scene that's going on and literally taking it very seriously and it's just not the discussion about race and about uh police violence it's just not something the show cares about um maybe it's because it's like just before the black lives matter moment but honestly even if it had happened in that moment i don't know that the show would have uh cared all that much yeah it's the racial the them actually handling this like really important turning point in america's history they have they give no no time to it no effort to it 
because they have way too many other things to do and they don't put the, the right focus on it to me and this is my bias or my cultural bias obviously uh not to say that any of that is not important but uh the syrian phone call um is kind of awkward as well yep. like they yeah. take a whole real life real problem yeah. and work it for about i'd say probably 10 minutes of episode time across mm-hmm. the whole episode for the purpose of a punchline Right. Yeah, they don't they can't do anything about Syria, so instead it becomes a victory over like these opportunistic prank callers. Baba Booey motherfucker is the line. It's like what the what the hell am I watching? Why did you do this? Cuz I I I wrote in my notes when the woman calls at the beginning, it's like she's like, "Oh, I'm in this hotel. I'm in the W hotel and my husband is in Syria and he's under the rubble of the explosion that you just saw on the news." And they're like, "Wow, we have to talk to you. We have to like take this very seriously and you get to watch them go through the channels to do that." And I wrote something that was like, wow, her accent is like fairly accurate. And I feel like such a card for writing that because hmm. they talk to her husband. They talk to supposedly they talk to her. They go back and forth. And then finally, Mackenzie walks in. It's like the adult walking to the room being like, hey, what are you? Are you you're not at the hotel, are you? And they're like, what? And she's like, you're not at the hotel. Your husband's not there, is he? You're not Syrian, are you? Wait a minute. Gotcha. <laughs> Baba Booey, which is a. Uh, what is that reference to the guy with the big hair? Howard Stern. Because mm-hmm. people would call in and when they would say really nasty stuff, his, one of his guys would be like, Baba Booey, Baba Booey, and just, like yell stuff. I might be mixing that up, but I know that's where it's from. That sounds correct enough. Yeah. Uh, somebody can correct. I know we have a lot of like radio listeners, actually. Um, so please I confirm that for me. Uh, that was the plot that I was like, man, y'all didn't even come on. Come on. Like yeah. no effort. Yeah. I did just this whole episode is pretty being pretty irresponsible with news stories and kind of has a like a contempt for opportunists that seems to be the the theme because it also has that that minor side plot with the young man from Rutgers who wants to come out on the show or something so did you not you said in your notes that you didn't get what was going on there I like didn't pay attention at first and then I couldn't figure out what real news item it was connected to so i was a little confused by that i think i wrote the i wrote an explanation in my notes so that i could remember this basically that guy's name is jesse he was acquainted with uh the guy who the gay student who who lived in rutgers and went to school there and his roommate uh hacked into his computer and leaked all of his photos online mm-hmm. and basically like the kid was in the closet and then because of this leak ended up being out of the closet and as a result of the humiliation killed himself and this guy is supposed to be like saying i'm a friend of his i'm part of the gay straight alliance at uh at rutgers i want to speak for him but he tweets something that's like uh i'm sorry to all the parents that i'm going to offend matt corners him in the makeup room and says like hey what are you actually going to do he says she's like are you planning to come out on the show he's like yep i was going to do it for my parents and then it becomes this bi- this basically like really basic moral argument of like, I want to do it because Tyler didn't get to make the choice to come out. And so I'm taking, he says like, I'm taking back the choice. But she's like, We're, you can't, that's so rude. That's so, like, first of all, you don't know this guy that well. This is just a guy that you're you're basically riding the coattails of, of his death mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 for your own gain. Like, She's portrayed as the better character in that moment and then basically shuts him down and basically tells him to fuck off and grow up and then walks out of the room on her own terms. And then 
walks back in and preaches at him some more. Yeah, like exactly. About and how like Will is an amazing man <laughs> or something. Pretty much. Uh, she's just like, yeah, Will's not that kind. He's we're not this kind of show. He's not that kind of host. Like he's not going to let you do that. So you're you're out of here. Bye. It's like I signed a waiver. Whatever. Yeah. Um Yeah, so that's kind of disappointing generally, but it still has the rhythm of like the newsroom and the characters are sounding cool and interacting with each other in ways that I like. It's just the news of it is is very questionable. Um I'm trying to think. Is Sloan and Don their scenes are in this episode too? Yes, that is in this episode. I was gonna bring okay. that that's the last thing that I have to talk about. So Sloan basically somebody was sitting around in the writer's room or Aaron Sorkin was sitting alone, I guess. Uh, and it's like, what should Sloan be doing in this episode? Hmm. What if someone leaked like naked pictures of her? Okay. Yeah. Well, what about economics thing? No, uh, I think, it, I think this would be good. I think this is a good thing for our, like one of the few women on the show to be doing with her time. So uh, there's this plot about how Sloane's ex-boyfriend Scott. Leaked, Scott leaked naked pictures of her, and then we have to deal with that. And, you know, I think there is a world in which you're writing a show about people who are in the, uh, I guess it's the entertainment industry. I guess the <laughs> news is part of the ent- entertainment industry, or there's it a is, parallel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Women who are in this industry who have to deal with the fact that they are seen um, sexually sometimes before they are seen intellectually um, by certain people in the audience. And this was like definitely, you know, naked pictures being leaked of somebody is definitely a real thing that people in the public eye have to deal with. Um, So I think there's a way to do that plot and do it responsibly. I don't think this was it. Um, but I guess I don't know what it would look like if it was the responsible version. Yeah, you mentioned something in your notes about, like, is this how we want to handle that plot? Like, is this the time and place to do this? Um, Like, it, it's challenging, right? Because the, I mean, the most, like, f- news, like, in, like biggest uh, example of this happening was in, in, like, the summer of 2014 when the iCloud photo leak happened and all those mm-hmm. celebrity photos came. So that was a little bit afterwards. So this is, like, a little bit... It's kind of trying to be very present uh, mm-hmm. and prescient, obviously, uh, like the newsroom so often is. But again, it doesn't have much to say. It's, if anything, the only thing I liked about it, like I didn't like that Don was involved. I really didn't like that Don was involved. I thought mm-hmm. Don's contri- contribution to this plot was worthless. He's just there to make Sloan feel good and to kind of like puff her up and also be like the guy who is the one good guy. Like right, Sorkin so often a makes really this really weird of role for Don to be playing. Right. After all, he is a toilet. Because um, he's he's like, how? Why are you dating all these bad men? It's like, Don, you're a you're a bad you're a man. bad man. Done, done, done. And so it's just them sitting in a dark room. But what I liked about it was that Sloane is is handling it in a mostly in a pretty mature way, at least early on. Yeah. Where like Charlie and Will like corner her or whatever, or Charlie and Reese, I guess. And she's like, Yeah, I did it. I don't really regret it. I hate that guy. I'm trying to work against it. Like, I don't want to get fired for this. Yeah, I did appreciate that. And I, I thought it made sense to me that she was sort of isolating herself and didn't feel like she could go on TV. 
Um, so in that sense, that's why I'm conflicted about it because there, there's just a whole world of plots that you can have as like a Sloan plot. And it does feel frustrating that of the few episodes that we have and the few Sloan centric plots that we have, this is one of them. Um, because it seems like so much of her character is more about the fact that she is attractive than it is about the fact that she's intelligent or or powerful um, or anything powerful or, um, you know, even some of her other maybe like character flaws, um, that are worth exploring. It just seems like her attractiveness is more often a focus. Um, so in that sense, it's frustrating. Uh, and then I just know who's behind it. You know, that's, what's tough about this is I could see this sort of story working in a show like this, if I knew that there was a woman behind it who was writing it. But I know that Aaron Sorkin's behind it, and so it's hard for me to trust that he can do it in a way that's responsible. Um, and then the ending, I thought, was just uh, just gross. It's it's sort of like the end of the series plot, where it's just like, high five, nailed it, got him in the balls. Kick, yeah. we can, like, he, <laughs> what do women want to do? They want to... They want to just totally let loose and go crazy and kick people in the balls and bloody their noses. And Big like, triumphant moment okay. for feminism. It, yeah, it's super bad. It's written by a dude. Yeah, I, I you just in, 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 like planted the idea inception like into my head that the newsroom written by like a woman uh, or like a queer woman mm. would be the like most like level headed. It's like smart show that it's trying to be or just like with, a diverse team of people yeah well, yeah like more or, or, yeah literally more than one person mm-hmm. like yeah we know multiple, multiple people have story credits everybody i've looked up who writes on the newsroom is white mm-hmm. uh and primarily male uh and that's all of sorkin's writing team like just bring like anything and, and this is like why people champion diversity is not just because like we want to see ourselves represented in things we do absolutely but also like we've seen this type of guy write this type of story a million times yeah. sorkin has had so many shows and so many chances and people just keep giving him shows he's probably going to get another show in our in like the next five years yeah probably that's going to be the same like and it's gonna have the same Is exact problem hallie's hallie's visit that's the next episode uh right. yes the whole with with maggie and that stuff yeah that's the second yeah. episode okay because just a point on the diverse uh, diversity thing also uh-huh. is like i would love for gary to get more lines in the span of all of these episodes than just like, oh, Jim's girlfriend, tell me about your cocktail dress. All right, I'm going to go back to saying nothing now. <laughs> I'm going to go slink into the background. I just came back. Like, the other line he gets is uh, Jim asks him, hey, like, hey, how long did it take you to recover from Africa? And then he's like, I didn't hold the kid that was that got killed. And, like, he has that line, and then he also has, like, yeah, 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 big cocktail dress, booby, like, <laughs> in, in the same episode. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's not great. Um, Gary's, Gary's an embarrassingly rewritten character. Um, and that line. I laughed at it because it was so absurd, but it's real bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is it. We, we actually, we, th- that was good. We just hit everything. Um, oh, yeah? It's a fairly tight episode. Yeah, I you know we we bashed it a little bit because um, that's what we do with this show I think, but I it was structured in a way that was refreshing to me. 
because it was yeah. very easy to follow. Um, it got characters that I like in scenes with each other. I like Sloan and Don together, even though maybe I didn't like Don being in that plot. I like the two of them playing off of each other. Um, I liked Don's thing where he was like, he was a, tr- a stories being attributed to him that he said sarcastically. Um, oh, yeah. And he has to clear that up call. and yell at the guy. I, I like that. I had And then he calls that. him a fat ass, and then I hated him again. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's Don. Um, and then, you know, Maggie Jim by the computer. They can sit there. They don't have to go anywhere else. That's good for me. Yeah, just, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather there. that than, like, their drama. Yeah. Um, there should there should just be more episodes that are told uh, centered around an episode of the show or told within the span of an episode of Newsnight, you know? Yeah, I want to learn about that process more. Yeah. Um, and then just real quickly, final up before we go to Newsbag, uh, in this episode... Charlie also speaks to a guy from the FBI and they have like cute sorkin back and forth about like, Hey, so that whole Genoa thing that I'm not saying happened or didn't happen. Uh, what are you going to do about that? And it's just like teasing the next, it's like a teaser for the next episode. Yeah. Fun stuff. So before we get there, we're going to do a news bag. Uh, and then right after that, we'll be back to discuss one step too many. Welcome back to the Chats Room. The second episode that we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 6, One Step Too Many. Written by the man himself. Directed by Julian Farino. Airing August 18th, 2013. And takes place presumably, I guess, March 17th, 2012. Because the last one took place on the 16th. Yeah, it seems to follow pretty immediately. I have no reason to believe it doesn't. Magellan, hi. What happens in this episode? Well, bro... Let me tell you, bro. Cheers, bro. <laughs> yeah, cheers, cheers, bro. bro. Um, in this episode, Will makes an appearance on an ACN morning show. Jim meets old friends and foes when Hallie comes to visit. The ACN staff interview a general with knowledge of Operation Genoa, but Jerry's handling of the interview may prove costly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so th- this episode, I texted you before you watched it being like, hey, bud, this is the one. Like, let's make sure we're ready for this because we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know how last week wasn't very, ge- last episode wasn't very Genoa heavy. This is the, this is all Genoa all the time, baby. And then also really bad Maggie drama. Mm-hmm. But I will say the more that Maggie's drama gets detached from Jim, which it's not to say that it is, but the more it starts to drift away from him, uh, the, more the more I find myself. it is. Yes, precisely. Yeah. Like her going to a bar and it also happens to be a hotel bar and then she also happens to start dating the bartender is kind of cool and she's like developing a drinking problem but it like makes sense. Like, yeah, I don't know if this is cynical but that is what would happen if I got into a bad breakup is I would just start like going, like frequenting a bar. Right. You wouldn't, like being you wouldn't, I wouldn't go to Africa. <laughs> exactly. It's or weird that she did Rami that and then the campaign this. trail. Yeah, that's that's only for strange people. And so, like, Jim is dating Callie. We get more of that awkwardness. I don't want to talk much about this plot because this episode really does boil down to those two plots. I don't think there's anything else big. So, like, what did you think about the, the like, Jim going to the hotel with with uh, Cal, Callie? Hallie. I always forget which one it is. Yes. Um, I thought that more would come of, of um, 
What was her name? The Romney spokeswoman? I never learned her name. I kept looking for it. I keep forgetting what her name is. They, like, say it offhandedly a couple times. Is it, it's not Nina. No. No, it's not Nina, because that's Nina Howard. Taylor? Yeah, that sounds right. I'm not going to say yeah. it, because I'm not 100% confident, but that sounds plausible. Um, I thought more would come of her being fired and sort of down and out, but not really anything came of it. Right? It was just that she said she was fired, and they had, like, a debate about Romney, and that was it? Pretty much. I mean, it all ends up being the... Uh, it's the dinner scene. Like that's that's what all of that is. All of the the gym stuff is building up to, is the most like concocted awkward dinner scene of all time. Because um, yeah, I thought like in the soap opera version of this show, or in the version of the show that doesn't care about Jim having to look like a good guy, Hallie goes on the plane and then he like hooks up with with Taylor. Is that weird that I thought that that was a possibility? No, not necessarily. I thought that that's what was being set up. <laughs> uh, it is correct, by the way. It's Taylor Harper. But yeah, so her, her basically, her at the at the dinner being like, "I'm an, I'm a huge asshole." And my entire character is about me being antagonistic, and then also I got fired, and now everyone suddenly feels bad for me. Just feels like unnecessary character work, like. Right. It just made me wonder why is she at the dinner. It didn't really make sense. Yeah. What? What? What inspired her to tag along? I mean, I think they explained it early on that she she's was sad, just like, and Hallie was like, "Come to dinner because you're sad." Come on this like terribly planned double date. I, if anything, out of that dinner scene, I just wanted Neil to further rip into the girl who was a uh, what's the candidate? What's the bad candidate? Ron Paul. Ron Paul girl. But then I realized I should feel I should feel kind of bad because like. That's just another, like, it's an Aaron Sorkin, ignorant straw man character. Right. For people to, like, espouse their intelligence at. Because she's yeah. like, I was just a young, up-and-coming news person like you. And then I discovered the brilliant candidate known as Ron Paul. And they're all like, oh, go. It's also, like, shows the hierarchy of Sorkin identity politics. Where, like, Neil only gets to talk about the internet unless there's a dumb woman in the room. And then, he <laughs> and then can, he gets to be the smart man. Yeah, it's like, oh, shit. This is and, all sorts of broken. Yeah, and they don't really... Fortunately, they don't spend too much time out. There's basically one scene where everything goes bad, and he's like, you're super dumb, and you've completely drank the Kool-Aid, and you're supporting an, like the worst candidate. Well, that's certainly debate up for debate with that particular crop. L- l- literally, it is up for, it was up for debate. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Uh, this is actually the episode with the cocktail dress scene, now that I'm seeing uh, in yep. my notes here. yeah. Man, uh, they, spent, that... they spent more time on Rick Santorum than they did on Trayvon Martin. <laughs> it's true. Like that's, I mean, really, that's you're the... exactly right. Sorkin wants to set up people that he can knock down. And that's what it is. Like there's nobody to knock down in, in the Trayvon Martin story. He doesn't have the tools to, to do to say way. anything. Yeah, he doesn't have the tools to say anything about Trayvon Martin because this is a show where people get to sound smart. And like... If you said, like, oh, we're going to write a plot where these people sound really smart about Trayvon Martin, that's already really fraught and bad. Like, oh, we're going to, like, talk down to some idiot racists or something. Like, that's that is that what we want out of a Trayvon Martin plot? Like, not really. If anything, it's just Will in the background of the last episode being like, uh, so um, maybe that guy did have a point. And the lady's like, you're, you're foolish. Don't. But they don't go. They don't, like, lean into it. What they do lean into is, like, 
the making fun of like the people on the Romney bus and Rick Santorum trying to conflate religion with politics and uh, like everyone, every candidate, every Republican candidate being a dumb dummy. Uh, yeah, that's like what that is. This show's bread and butter, like I said. Um, I don't know. That's like what we said. That that is entirely what the Jim plot is boiling is getting to. It's just yeah. the girl being sad about being fired. They're all at a restaurant and getting to be funny white American people and being like, this food is weird. What? We Let's guess the food. <laughs> yeah. Just like, that was, yep. It, that was, it really just like, felt like we went to a sushi it. restaurant. What do you mean? Right. You, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've seen, the, the reason I, I rack on that is A, it's easy, and B, I've, I know people who do that, where they'll like look at the menu and be like, what is this? What? Mm. Crab with fit like fish on the side. So- what? <laughs> you have r- really sheltered friends. Yeah. What is this? What is this? A hamburger on a bun? On a bun with mayonnaise? What is mayonnaise? Egg with sugar and salt? Yes. <laughs> huh. <laughs> uh, I think that is the most. There's some same tour. Yeah. There's the God stuff in the tour. I mean, he's Will is hanging out with Nina Howard. What did you think about Nina Howard? You know, I like Nina Howard being his nice girlfriend who cares, who like indulges his interest in publicity. That if we care about the dimension of Will's character where he thinks too much about his ratings, then it makes sense that he would want to date a gossip columnist and that this would happen. <laughs> it, it made sense. And it, it seemed like an honored that side of Will's character. Uh, I didn't particularly like when he shouted at and scolded her and was like first of all i have to do this and second of all i have to break up with you and they have to come in quick succession because it's like chill out i just don't like the way that nina it's exactly the same thing as callie where as soon as somebody dates you they go from like your interesting intellectual rival to like your doe-eyed partner of love who's like you're amazing everything you do is the best yeah that's true isn't that isn't it so weird that that's like a common thing in every sorkin work it's yeah. like you are cool until you're dating me. Now you are boring and useless, and you you serve me. Yeah, it's That's really weird. It's a fair I, point. I don't know if he knows how relationships work, honestly. Uh, and then yeah, just finally like the Maggie stuff. Um, I don't know she, her dealing with this trauma by like coming closing in on herself, and she straight up tells Jim like, "The reason I drink alone is because I feel alone and sad and broken, and like I'm trying to cope." But, like, don't tell me. Like, it's almost the most, it's almost the closest thing this, this show has to, like, a good feminist statement, which is, like, stop telling me how to cope with my own trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, let mm-hmm. me figure it out. I know the way that I'm doing it is fucked up. I am self-aware enough and self-conscious enough to know that this is, like, self-destructive. But I'm going to do it. You're not going to stop. Like, I'm going, you know, a guy buys her a drink. And instead of, like, sleeping with the guy, she says, like, thanks. And then the, <laughs> it's, like, a weird like ad for like being a nice human being <laughs> or something uh where he's just like okay yeah you can have it and she's I totally like, get it i totally get it I understand. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just here by myself and he's like i get it all Very right cool. more power <laughs> to you it's just that it's such a strange bit i liked it though it was nice. yeah yeah no it, i mean that's how that's how that could work it's yeah. entirely maggie can just say thanks for the drink we're not gonna kiss and he's like great that's fine okay we're all human beings. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it is like the most aware the show has like ever been. It's very strange. So what's this? Like? Oh yeah. Don spends the whole episode with Mackenzie at a bar 
uh, talking about how he hates being the rebound for Sloan and how she dated a football man before him. Oh, my God. Like, I I almost forgot that until I just looked at it in my notes because that, that all those scenes are just pointless. Uh, yeah. Who, who pretty cares? much. I don't want to see Don be sad about Sloan not, like, wanting to fuck him. Like, come on, Don. <laughs> I like Don when he is, like, a cocky sleazebag. I don't like yeah, him they when just, he is. Yeah, they don't really know what to do with Don right now because he's fully plucked out of the love triangle which is yeah. good but now it's like oh who who he's was unmoored. he he wasn't really anybody yeah he's unmoored from the plot and so now he's just like they're just like grasping for straws of him like oh does he you know go to mckenzie for relationship advice does he kind of like become a uh like a handyman like he did with the whole chair plot like what is what's his story now oh. does he become a good ally to to sloan and then that is how he gets in her good graces to to kind of like get with her uh, like where do we take Don? And, and they like totally retcon the Don Mackenzie relationship this episode. I feel like because he was talking about like I don't remember what he said. And then she's like, "I trust you, Don. I trust you with my life." <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, okay, that's no. great." Because that was not how their relationship was before. They were not necessarily friendly with each other, but now the show wants us to think that they're friends. So. I guess that's the new the new normal. Absolute, absolute besties. I think there was a line uh, it was from Sloan like at the beginning of the season or something where she says, Don was used to being called the bad guy, and so now he has trouble like accepting that he is fine. Right. Like he constantly self-doubts because he's like, well, I... Like I am the archetype that people want me to be, and like how do I get... How do I break myself out of that? So like in a way, his plot is kind of nuanced, but they're just... They don't like stick to any one interpretation of him. It's very yeah. uh, scattershot. That's fair. Yep. Uh, and then there's that really good scene where Will and Sloane are talking, which is another like rare character connection that you don't really th- expect to see. I forget what she's talking to him about, but she ends up calling. Like they have like a very respectful, friendly relationship, and then he calls her sis. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Um. And Will also, yeah, spends, again, spends this episode being like, why don't people like me? I get on this morning show, and they heard that I'm a good thrower. I'm a, I am play I play baseball well, so they're going to make me play baseball on the show for charity. And then he throws it at the lights, and they're like, you could trash my lights. You could trash my lights. <laughs> I fucking love that video. Uh, and then, yeah, he's like, why don't people, no, but come on, people don't like me. And they're like, Will, you, what? If you if you didn't care about why people like you, you wouldn't have showed up on a morning show. If you cared enough why people liked you, though, you would have at least tried to be nice. You're well, clearly not then, that far. And Sloane tells him, like, people do think you're smart and they can trust what you say. Just because your approval ratings for, like, kindness are bad doesn't mean that they don't like you. Yeah. You're a news. You're a goddamn newsman, <laughs> Will McAvoy. <laughs> um. Yeah, I like the Sloan and Will interactions in this episode. They felt really natural and funny and yeah, I don't know. I liked them. We just I just want wanted more of that. Like we're just close enough to the end of the show and I know how terrible season 3 is that like we're not going to get any much much better than that. Yeah. That I'm like that's the best that we get in this season in this show is like they treat each other with a modicum of respect. And it's like, it's whatever. I'm not, I don't mean to constantly poo poo the show. I want to find more positive things to talk about. I will say, just to pivot, I think the way the Genoa stuff wraps up is legitimately really compelling. I agree. Yep. I agree. 
I don't think it was worth stringing us along for an entire for the Fuck past no, five episodes. Dude. It's two episodes of plot strung out for six episodes. Yeah, but the idea, I mean, there is a world in which the newsroom could have worked as as a show about, like, fictional news, you know? Yeah. Like, there's no reason that this should be a show about the real-life news from a couple years ago. It could just have been a show about fictional news that was allegorical to real life. I guess in the way that the West Wing was like that for politics, I'm assuming. I haven't seen yeah. all of the West Wing, but I would imagine it worked similarly. Um, and in that show, like the Genoa storyline makes way more sense because then you're telling an allegorical story about people who force uh, a certain narrative onto facts in order to tell the news. And that's what's going on here. That is an, that's something interesting to consider you know, in this organization that puts so much value on on breaking the story first, on exposing corruption, on telling the public what's going on, of course there's going to be somebody in that machine or in that system who's going to twist things a little bit to make sure that the story comes out the way they want it to come out. And how appropriate it is that it's an outsider. It's Jerry Dantana, the man who we have consistently lauded as like the mo the best new character of this season because he actually does his job and he actually cares. And so then we run into the question of like, what happens when you care about getting the point across more than you care about telling the truth? Right. So basically the episode being right. Exactly. Well, the episode starts with a red team meeting, the red team being the only people in the newsroom who are allowed to know about operation Genoa. So that's like Mac it is Maggie, it's Jim, it's Jerry. No, it's... Red Team is um, the people that they intentionally didn't tell before so that they can pick apart the story oh, and that's see if there are flaws works. in it. Oh, that's why it's the, okay, that's why it's the Red Team. It was team a pretty like cool idea. Yeah, it's like you need to be the unbiased, the closest thing to an unbiased source that we have. Mm, yeah. Which kind of works against them in a little way because uh, Jim spends these all these like Red Team meetings being like, no way. The U.S. knew, like, gas against the Middle East. Like, what? Guys, that's a war crime. That's impossible. You guys are wrong. Like, shut up, Jim. <laughs> and Maggie actually gets to be the smart one. He kind of is like, how long have you known about this? And she's like, dude, literally months. Seven and he's like, months. seven months. And you didn't, and I didn't tell you. So I'm clearly good at this. And you're the only one left who's incredulous about it. Everyone yeah. here believes it. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Uh, they have all these meetings. They basically recount the whole thing up until now. Um, this is where I was like, this really could have been two episodes. This could have been like some buildup and then this. Yeah. And that's we it. have our sources. We have everyone who knows. And finally, we find this guy, Stomtonovich, who is a military expert who is aware, supposedly aware of the operation. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go interview him after we called him on the phone and talked to him. And so Mackenzie and I believe it's Charlie initially mm-hmm. uh go with go to his house have a really stupid i don't first of all i really don't like it when the newsroom goes outside the the set the like <laughs> lighting is like terrible mm-hmm. when they're like outdoors uh and they like knock over his trash and he's just like a crotchety old man who's like why are you here who are you and they're like hey bud we talked to you on the phone D- like do you want to do this whole important news thing because we're trying to have some like decor about it and like let's not make this awkward and he's like all right let's do it they come back the next day with Jerry and then Maggie 
um, who is only there to fix the camera. But she has to leave because Natanovich was never like he did research on Jerry, but he didn't do anything about Maggie. So he's like, I want my safety. I want my face blurred out. I want my voice modified. I want everything to work with me. I'm going to you're going to let me watch basketball because mm-hmm. I'm a weird old man who really likes but He's like March Madness. Yeah. And they're like, oh, OK, in that case, yeah, he can watch TV, <laughs> which I get like they're in his house. They're by his rules. I understand. That. It's just really it's like a silly plot thing. Yeah. So they get the interview. And basically what happens is, as I remember, I really tried to pay attention to this because I remember this so vividly. Like, as soon as I heard the audio clip of him saying, like, if we used Saren, I, like, instantly flashed back to watching this the first time because they play it over and over and over and over again in this and in the rest of the episodes. That is basically the line is, like, he's talking about, like, I know how the U.S. uses these weapons. I think, like, he compares it to... uh in basketball like you can't uh touch a person who's taking a free throw shot but obviously if the person had a a knife brandished and they started trying to attack people you would be allowed to use Mm self-defense and so that's his really ass backwards argument for the u.s being allowed to use chemical weapons in the middle east is like well if they threaten us then we're allowed to murder them and by whatever means necessary and then he posits this hypothetical situation to only Jerry is the only one in the room, which is also a weird oversight. Like, why didn't someone else stay in the room with him in the live interview? Well, he uh, said that they couldn't. Like, no, like not even Mackenzie. They had to go back to New York. Oh, okay. And they That's only fair. warned him. They only told Stumtanovich that Jerry was going to be there. So he like did a background check on Jerry, and was ready for him, but hadn't done a background check on anybody else. Right. So so he just talks to Jerry and basically puts up this situation that's like, hey, so I know how sarin gas works. If we used sarin gas, yeah. here is how we would do it. And here's what the operation would look like if we did that. And then Jerry's basically just trying. You get this cool moment of like you kind of become in sync with Jerry's mindset of like, I need him to use the right words. Yeah. And Stamtonovich is a, he, although he, he's initially portrayed as like a dumb old man. He's actually played really well. Steven Root, fantastic, very, very famous character actor, uh, is like, no, hear what I'm saying. If we used sarin gas. And it's like such a perfect voice clip moment because you just, you then cut to Jerry in the editing bay being like, if we used sarin gas. If, if we used, if we, if we used sarin gas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're like, oh God, oh God, he just, that's it. He just did it. He just made the lies. It doesn't really like it, it works, but Mackenzie is like, roll the tape back, play me the raw footage. And then he plays what he, he calls the raw footage, but it's still the edited tape mm-hmm. and gets it out there. Mm-hmm. It's Jerry's fault. Yep. Jerry did Genoa. So this then calls into question a couple of things. So now the problem is the final scene of the episode is Charlie being like, yeah, so we had all the evidence. We had tons of proof. We had this guy, this guy, this person, this information, this, and this guy, and this interview. At 10.05, I knew we had a problem. None of it was true. Oh, fuck. We goofed, guys. Sorry. Whoops. So how does it happen? That's the big question. And I'm I'm interested to see it. I'll be honest. Yeah, like, what is the the truth then? And what happens now in the present of 2012, 2013, whatever, uh, where this has aired? Because he says, like, we estimated 4 million and we got 7 million. A no, lot of people watched 1 this. 1 million and they got 4 million. Yeah, sorry. My, yes, you're right. Yeah. But, yeah. 
<laughs> grossly overestimated. Um, yeah, I guess I, I don't remember what the actual truth of it was, but it's cool to see that it wasn't like somebody slipped on the tape or somebody misspoke. Like nobody misspoke. This is entirely a conscientious effort from Jerry to get the story that he wanted to. Right. Yeah. That's what makes this compelling is that it's, we're actually seeing a moment in which a character character's virtue becomes his flaw. Uh, and he makes a decision that is wrong headed. Right. It's like and a compelling narrative moment. And he gets this incredibly like a well acted scene where, you know, Jim and everyone is like, Hey, like we shouldn't air this. No matter how much proof we have, we probably shouldn't like so many people are going to like lose their jobs and there's going to be riots and riots turn into problems and like international crises. Like this can all happen if we air this. Yeah. And then Jerry is like, you know, he has this whole moment about like, this is a thing that is going to change the world. This is like history making. We cannot deny this to protect people. Yeah. The pri- and then yeah, like the, all of the weight of that scene is undercut by Charlie being like, except for the part where none of it happened. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Something about that is really interesting. Yeah. And it's just such a bummer to me that we had like, what are we on? Eight? Episode eight of the season? Like, uh, no, episode six, excuse me. F- so we had like five episodes of build up to this. Right. And so it has that. it has this a ton of weight. It didn't need to be wrapped up in Jim on the trail. It didn't need to be wrapped up in Maggie in Africa. Yeah, it didn't need to be wrapped up in the guy like getting drunk and falling off the roof or whatever. Jerry Dantana's story. Because that's what it is. Ultimately, yeah, it boils down to what's been happening just with Jerry. And and the fact that we've been like conditioned to like him so much works in the in the in the show's favor. That you're like, oh, this guy's like smart and does good work. Why is he also uh, okay lying? Or fudging the truth, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna see where it goes. We're gonna see next week where it goes, precisely, yeah. specifically. Um, Magellan, mm-hmm. can you do me a favor? Sure thing, fella. Uh, can you read for me the summaries of the next two episodes of the newsroom that we're gonna be watching? No, but can I can you read, read me... you the summary of the next one episode. Thank you. That's You're welcome. What I was gonna say. <laughs> so we are going to. There are three episodes left in the season. It's a nine-episode season. So next week, we're going to just do one episode in order to combine election night parts one and two for our final episode of the season the following week. Um, So next week, we're only covering season two, episode seven, Red Team Three. Through depositions with the newsroom staff, Rebecca pieces together the events that led to ACN's fateful decision to go forward with Dantana's special report on Operation Genoa as well as the post-air revelations that undermined its credibility. There we go. It's All exactly right. what we're looking for. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, th- I didn't even realize. I forgot that we just lined up the one episode one with the the weekend that I'm going to be out of town. So rock and roll. Um, Crushed it. It should be a fun one. We'll try and make it meaty, though, to keep people from feeling like they got a short shrift the episode. Um, but yeah, it should be very interesting. So... Uh, let's take it to the plug zone real quick before we go home, Magellan. Let's do it. Uh, you can find Chats, the podcast, on Twitter, at ChatsPod. That's spelled C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. You can also email us if you'd like your words to be included in the news bag by emailing us at chatspod at gmail.com. We love reading those. We love seeing those. Uh, they're very good. And uh, 
if you like the show, please recommend it to your friends. That's how we get discovered. Um, post it on your favorite message boards. Post it online. And review us on iTunes. That is a big way that the algorithm pushes us up in the very crowded genre of TV discussion podcasts. Mm-hmm. I like to think we're pretty good. I like to think we're worth getting up there. Yeah. And uh, Magellan, where can people find you online? People can follow me or message me on Twitter at just a fluke. That's J-U-S-D-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. They can also listen to episodes of my other podcast, Adulthood, which is about watching the movie Boyhood 15 seconds at a time and doing something with those 15 seconds. Uh, yeah. Alan, what about you? Uh, my, <laughs> my, my plugs are getting longer and longer every week. Basically, you can find all my stuff on Twitter at Alan Ibrahim, A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. That's where I'm going to post about most of my stuff. I try not to self-plug too much over there. Um, so just as a general sort of plug, you can find me also on two other podcasts. One is Fireside Friends. It's a monthly pop culture show. You can listen to it at firesidefriends.net. I don't need to talk about it. It's great. People like it. We're actually going to record an episode right after this. You can also listen to me on The Garnet Wager, which is a discussion podcast of the TV show The Genius. It's a Korean game show where they play games and have fun. We are also playing games and having fun. It's me and my buddy Six. And uh, that is also on the internet, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. So that pretty much covers my brand on the online. Radical. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Chats Room. Good night.